Good morning, church. Uh, I am so glad to be with you all this morning. Um, if you are new this morning, I just want to say welcome. My name is Pastor Arthur. I am the outreach director and, and worship pastor here, but also a church planning resident. My family and I are planning a church in Sanford, Florida in 2022, but we're just so glad that you are here. Um, I pray that you will connect with us today. Um, so there's room hosts in all of these rooms, um, and, and if, if the room hosts are there, I just want you to stand up right now, room host, and just kind of wave your hand. There we go. Just make sure to connect with a room host and just let them know you're here. Uh, we believe that this faith journey is not meant to be uh, walked alone. And I also want to say that this is not normally how we do church. <laughs> we, do, we do have a sanctuary, but right now we're in the middle of a remodel. Uh, we are remodeling and re, uh, renovating our uh, sanctuary for generations to come. And, and so, but we're just glad to, to be meeting here together. And church family, I am just so glad to be with you this morning. So here's what we're going to do just to kind of loosen up a little bit. Let us just stand if we can. And I just want you to say hello to your neighbor. Just say, hello, how are you doing? Uh, maybe get to know them. Maybe you, you haven't gotten their name yet. So let's just do that now for like 10 seconds. Amen. Amen. Let us have a seat now. Well, I'm so glad to be here heralding the word of God to you this morning. And I have the privilege this morning to continue our study that our pastor, Pastor Dustin Janney, started last week entitled, We the church. And it's just simply a series on what it means to be the church, what it means as individual members that are part of a local body. What does that mean to a watching world? What does that mean biblically? And so I'm excited to be in this study to dive a little bit deeper in what it means to be the church. But here's what I've come to realize. I have come to realize that one of the greatest dangers that we face in Christianity today is a misunderstanding of the church. We have a misunderstanding of the importance of the church in the life of individual believers. We have a misunderstanding of the role of, a ch of the church as a whole in Christianity. And we also have a misunderstanding of the centrality of the church in God's work in the world. I have just talked to too many Christians who have told me that I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. Or they, they've told me I, I need Jesus, but I, I don't need the church. It's kind of like saying I love marriage, but I don't really love my wife. Or I'm in pain and I, and I need to, to, to have some physical help. And need to, I need someone to look at me, but I don't want to go to the hospital, right? It's just simply unbiblical. And this is why church membership has fallen below the majority for the first time in nearly a century. This is why only 47% of Americans say that they belong to a church. So, by no surprise, it, this should not be a surprise to Christians that, that the church is under serious attack by Satan and his army. And this attack has been going on for quite some time. I just want to remind you, saints, that the battle that we face is not against flesh and blood. As a matter of fact, when Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, he wrote to them, this battle that you're facing is not just simply against flesh and blood, but rather Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 says, our battle is against the rulers 
against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So these cosmic powers and these spiritual forces are over the rulers and authorities. So it's, it's a spiritual matter, matter. It's a spiritual battle. You see, the devil knows the places in which to strike that will bring about the greatest pain, the greatest difficulty, the greatest division, and ultimately the greatest destruction to Christianity. And what's the target? What can bring that about? The target is the local church, the local gathering of God's people. So it's by no surprise that the church, especially over this last year during the pandemic, has been under serious attack. Should we meet together? Should, should we just go online? All of these kind of things have been the, the talk of every church, been the talk of governments. Even in Canada, we found that people who are trying to assemble together are, are, are being reprimanded and even going to jail for just simply gathering. There is nothing in my opinion, that creates more damage to the individual believer and the corporate gathering than to forsake the local assembling of God's people. I believe that there is nothing more damaging to the life of a believer and to a corporate gathering than to forsake being under the proclamation of God's word together. There is nothing more damaging to the life of an individual believer and a corporate gathering than to abandon the sacrificial fellowship of the saints, to withdraw from the earnest prayers of the brethren, and to forgo the sacred ordinances of God's ordinary means of grace that remind us weekly when we gather of what Christ has done to gather us and make us a people when we were once not a people to make us a household of God. Friends, hear me on this. We were gathered by the Lord and his grace to be a gathering. And this is simply the title of my message this morning. Gathered to be a gathering. So it shouldn't be a surprise to the saints that the greatest attack in our present day is against the assembling of God's people. So today we're going to unpack, if you have your Bibles, let us just go ahead and open them or, or get, get it on your phone and turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10 and we're going to start at verse 19. The focus for this morning will be verses 23 and 25. I'm, I'm really trying to land the plane there and, and, and unpack it there, but we're going to start at verse 19. But by the Spirit's help, I'm going to just try to make a case for you out of these scriptures of the importance of the local gathering and the danger of forsaking that assembling. So let us go ahead and stand to our feet if we can. And we're going to read it together. So I'm going to go ahead and come to the screen here. So we're going to read this together. So I'll, I'll, I'll try to go slow enough so we can all read it together. But this is God's word. I want to remind you, this is the inspired, inerrant, infallible, authoritative, sufficient, and effective breath of God. Here it is. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, 
Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let us stay standing, and I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that we get to call the creator and the sustainer of the universe our Father because of the blood of Christ, because of the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we're grateful for your word. God, we're grateful that it tells us truth, Lord, in the midst of a world that is searching for truth. God, we thank you that you gathered us and made us a people when we were once not a people, when we were once not a gathering. So, Lord, this morning, here's my prayer. What we know not, Lord, teach us. What we are not, Lord, make us. And what we have not, Lord, give us. Your word is truth. So, Lord Jesus, by your spirit, sanctify us with your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I, would, I just want to start by asking this question. And I think we have to ask this question before we go any further in the series of We the Church. Here's my question. What does the word church actually mean? We live in a culture where we love redefining words and the meaning of words, so we have to really get down to the bottom of this. What does the word church actually mean? And when we read the Bible, it's, it's a really good principle to, to go to where this word is first mentioned. And so we're going to do that. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 16, and we'll start at verse 16. Here's the context of what's happening here. Uh, Jesus and his disciples, they go up to Caesarea Philippi. That's, that's north of Jerusalem, a beautiful place. I've been there. It was actually a place of pagan worship, as a matter of fact. And while they were there, Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say I am? And essentially they told him, well, some say John the Baptist and some say Elijah. Essentially, they were just calling Jesus a prophet. But then he asked them a direct question, as he does to all of us this morning. He says, okay, that's great. But who do you say that I am? That's a great question. This morning, that's a question we have to answer. Who do you say Jesus is. And in verse 16, we have Peter's answer to this all-important question. Here's his answer. You are the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the one we've been waiting for. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. In response to Peter's confession, in response to Peter's declaration, this is Jesus' words. And Jesus answered him. Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. He says, Peter, you did not come to this conclusion on your own, but my Father revealed it to you. That's salvation 101. And then he says this, and I tell you, you are Peter. And upon this confession, upon this rock, I will build my church. There's the word. There's the word. I will build my church, Jesus says, upon 
this confession that Peter has made, he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, will not prevail against his church. So Peter realized that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, because the father revealed it to him. And then the Lord joined the revelation of who he is with the revelation of the church. So the father's revelation here concerning Christ is only the first half of what the Bible calls this great mystery, which is Christ and the church. So the Lord needed to reveal to Peter the second half of this mystery, which concerns the church. In Paul, writing to the Ephesian church in Ephesians chapter 5, he begins to, to explain this great mystery to the church. And he paints this beautiful picture of Christ in the church. And he said, it's like a groom and a bride. Jesus is our bridegroom and the church is the bride. And, and he gets into this picture of how Jesus washes us with the word and lays down his life for us and, and all of these things. But then in verse 32, Paul says this, this mystery of Christ in the church is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So Christ and the church together are the great mystery. Since Christ is the son of the living God, the church as a part of the great mystery must also be a living entity. Now this is important because we have our Western lenses on and when we think of church, what do we think of? We think of a what? A physical structure. But this is not at all what Christ was referring to. This is not at all what Paul is referring to here. He's saying the church is a living entity, not just merely a physical structure. But let's get down to the word now. Let's get down to the word that Jesus used in Matthew 16, 18. What's the meaning of this word? Let's go to the original language. And the original language is Greek. And the Greek word that Jesus uses here is ekklesia. Ekklesia, I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, ekklesia. Now I want you to turn to your, your other neighbor and say, I learned Greek this morning. All right. Ekklesia, that's great. But here's what it means. Ekklesia simply means called out assembly. That's all that it means, called out assembly. So when, when Jesus used this word, here's what he was saying. The church is a congregation of people. It's an assembly that God has called out of the world for his purposes. And God hasn't just called out this gathering, but he's gathered a people who were once not a people to gather together under Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. But don't miss that word assembling or assembly. In assembly, we know this can't just be one person. Jesus was referring to the assembling of God's people by means of local gatherings that make up the universal church around the world. And here's where I think we think through this wrongly. I think through our individualistic kind of secular worldviews, we think of the church individually, but we have to start thinking corporately. And when we think of the church universal, we must think of local visible gatherings around the world, not just individual people kind of going rogue and doing their own thing. 
But the universal church is made up of a bunch of local churches that are gathering together, proclaiming that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. When we think of this local, local church, we have to think of individual members that are a part of these local bodies. And these members are accounted for and being discipled by under shepherds who faithfully teach the word of God and faithfully hold on to the ordinary means of God's grace. We hold on to the word of God when we gather together. We sit under the word of God. We pray when we gather together. We have sacrificial fellowship when we're together. And we observe all the ordinances, which is the Lord's Supper and the ordinance of baptism. And this could be a group of three people, or it could be 3,000 people who are assembling together. But this is the word given by our Lord that best describes this mystery of Christ and the church. And by the way, this is the same word the New Testament writers use to refer to the local church in the epistles. So oftentimes when we read through these letters, we, we, we just, again, through our individualistic secular worldviews, we think of, of these commands just being to individuals, which they are in part. But these letters were written to churches. <laughs> so we have to start thinking through the framework of local gatherings, people assembling together, carrying out these commands and exhortations and truths of God. At the end of the day, a local church is an assembly. And here's where I'm trying to get to when I say this. Here's where I'm trying to get to. If a church never meets, it's not a church at all. If a church never meets, it's not a church at all. Here's what I mean. A gathering isn't just something churches do. A gathering is in part what a church is. <laughs> it's what a church is. You see, God has saved us as individuals to be a corporate assembly. Let me say that again. God has saved us as individuals to be a corporate assembly. And if we miss this, we miss half of Christianity. This is why Jesus revealed to Peter, he says, yes, that confession is correct, but I've come to build my local church. I've come to build a church. I've come to gather a people to gather together and hold fast to that confession. You see, God's heart for the assembling of God's people is evident and clear throughout scripture and not just New Testament, but Old Testament as well. But really where I see a clear picture of the importance of assembling together is in our text this morning in Hebrews chapter 10. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn now there to Hebrews chapter 10, starting at verse 19. But here's what I want you to notice as we read through these verses. I want you to notice the ecclesia language that is mentioned here. I want you to see how the writer of Hebrews is, is constantly referring to this assembly language. And here's the context of what was happening. The writer of Hebrews is writing to a group of Hebrews, a church of Hebrew people who are gathering together under this confession of Christ. But here's what the problem was at the time. There were people, there were some Hebrew people there in that congregation who made it a habit of not meeting together. 
And so the result of that is that a lot of them were drifting away from the faith. They were becoming apostates. And even some of them were reverting back to the old Levitical law. And we see this happening even in our day. So many people who claim to love Christ but have denounced the church or the importance of the local assembling of God's people. A lot of people have denounced their faith and tried to deconstruct their faith and Christianity and the church. And so this is the same context we have today. So it's extremely relevant So listen to this language. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews writes here. Verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters. All right? Brothers and sisters. Don't miss that. He's talking to a group of people here. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for who? For us. A new and living way through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God. I'm going to pause right there. Do you see the ecclesia language here? He's not just simply writing to individual members, but he's writing to a group of people who we call the church because they were assembling together. They were, they were confessing the Lord Jesus together. And this is just simply the first part of what Christ was talking about. This is the confession. He's saying, since we have confessed these indicatives, these truths, here's what we need to be doing. Since Christ has made a way for us, the writer of Hebrews is saying, for since Christ has made a way for us to go where no man in the past but priests have gone, Since there is a new way that Christ opened up by his life and his death, because of the resurrection, we have a living high priest over this house of God. What are we to do now with that confession? Here's what he writes in verse 22. You ready? Let us draw near. Let us draw near. In other words, let us come together and draw near to the Lord together. And then he says, with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our, our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. In other words, let us draw, uh, uh, let us draw close to the Lord together, confirming the truths confirming this confession of who Christ is. And we outwardly acknowledge this confession through baptism, that we die with Christ and we're raised in the likeness of his resurrection. We acknowledge the blood of Christ washes away all of our sins. So we, we draw near together with that truth. And then in verse 23, he makes it simple. And he says, now let us hold on to the confession. Let us hold on to the confession. What's the, what's the confession? Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, Matthew 16, 16. He says, let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. So here's what the writer of Hebrews is really asking here. He's saying this. He's asking this question. 
How can we be sure that we can hold fast to the living way? How can we be sure that our hearts are true in full assurance of faith? How can we be sure to hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering? How do we do this? And the Lord in his graciousness gives us the answer in verse 24. Read it with me now. Let us consider one another. There it is. Let us consider one another. And he's not just talking about preferring one another or, or, or just pondering on the thought of being together. He's using ecclesia language here and he's saying, gather together in order to provoke love and good works. And you're probably thinking, well, Pastor Arthur, it says consider one another. It doesn't say to gather. How, do you, how did you come to that conclusion? Well, let's read verse 25. What does verse 25 say? Not neglecting to gather together. So let us read that, that, those two sentences. One again, it says, let us consider one another, or rather, let us gather together in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing. But when we gather together, here's what happens. We encourage each other. And all the more as you see the day approaching. So Paul lands the plane here. We have to gather together. <laughs> the church gathers. He wants us to get this. The, the writer of Hebrews wants us to get this. Let us consider one another. Let us not neglect to gather together. Why? And here's really the banner over these few verses. Here's what the writer of Hebrews is trying to bring home. I need you to hear me out on this church. The primary way the Lord provokes love for him and love for others and good works in his people is through the assembling of the local church. I want to say that again. The primary way that the Lord provokes love and good works in and through his people is through the assembling of the local church. You know, it's by no surprise <laughs> that when my wife and I neglect to meet together, our love for one another often grows cold. And in turn, the way we serve one another suffers. When my wife and I do not intentionally make an effort to gather weekly, if not daily, to affirm our love for one another, to encourage one another, and to speak sweet nothings to each other, we often find ourselves lacking in the love department. And in turn, as a, as a result of that, we are sluggish and slow to serve one another. Anybody there right now in the room? This isn't a message on marriage, but uh, I know that Jess and I aren't the only ones who go through this. But this is about the a local assembling of God's people. And, and this writer of Hebrews makes it so clear here in verses 24 and 25. And he is simply saying, if you want your heart to be stirred for Christ, if you want your affections to be stirred for one another, if you really want to see the, the, the kind of love that Jesus was talking about that should be permeating the church, then we must not neglect 
gathering together. And the clearest and most beautiful picture of this is Jesus with his disciples on Monday, Thursday, when he inaugurated the new covenant and the ordinance of communion. And this is a beautiful picture because he gathers his disciples together and, and, he, and he inaugurates this new covenant that is uh, initiated by this Lord's Supper. And Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, there's a, a few different accounts of the Lord's Supper, but I love his account of it. And we're, we'll look at another one in just a minute. But look at this here. Look, look at what, this is Jesus's heart for the church. This, this is really uh, where we need to be focusing our eyes on this morning. Listen to the words of Paul here, writing about that night where Jesus inaugurated the new covenant. He says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So right at the start of this new covenant that was initiated by the Lord, he gathers a people together and he says, you have to remember. You want to know why? Because we are a forgetful people. He knew the importance of gathering together and remembering what Christ did for us. And then I love the account of John. John records for us uh, this account, uh, but he actually records for us after the Lord's Supper was completed. And, and, and Jesus had a new commandment for the disciples. And, and, and again, this is the context. This is after the Lord's Supper. Here's what Jesus tells his disciples. He says, a new commandment I give to you. What is this new commandment, Lord? That you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That was right after the Lord's Supper. You see, the Lord gathered us, church, to be a gathering of people who meet together as often as we can to ponder on God's great love for us. And as a result of our affections being stirred for Jesus, we love one another with that same earnest care and deep affection. And if we want the, our community and our city to know the love of Christ, then we must gather together. And time and time again, I have seen people come through uh, these doors and, and through other churches. And, and I've heard people say, man, I really sense a love here that I've never experienced. That's the love of the Lord. That's the love that permeates the local assembling of God's people. And I just want to maybe uh, have you consider this this morning. Maybe your love for the Lord and your love for others it has grown cold. Maybe your love for the Lord and your love for others is a direct byproduct of missing out on the fellowship. Maybe your love for the Lord has grown cold and your love for others has kind of dwindled because you haven't engaged with God's people. Listen, church, I'm sure 
we have reasons for not partaking in the fellowship. But I need you to consider this. Your love for the Lord and your love for others is on the line here. It's on the line here. And so maybe today, maybe you just have to consider what do I need to do to be in the fellowship? What do I need to do to gather here on Sundays? This is not a plug for any specific ministry. What I'm saying is what the text is trying to communicate here. Our love for the Lord and our love for others is on the line here. We can't neglect meeting together. Maybe you'll, you'll connect with a room host this morning and say, I, I want to figure out how to get plugged into the fellowship. I need to gather with God's people. And I want to tell you so oftentimes when I come here on Sunday morning and my heart isn't stirred for the Lord as it should be and my love for others isn't where I, I desire it to be. So oftentimes when I, when I come in contact with another believer and they say, hey, let me pray for you or I see them caring for each other on our campus, it just, it reminds me of what Christ has done to gather us, to be a people who gather. So it's so important. But God doesn't just provoke love, it says in this passage, but he also provokes good love, uh, good works, excuse me, when we gather. When I gather on the Lord's day with all of you, and when I gather on Fridays with our outreach team, man, God just supernaturally gives me the energy to continue on with more works and I know it's the Spirit's energy, but it's also a direct result of being with God's people. I know it is. When I see Lucy Santiago lead someone to Christ, I'm ready to follow suit. I just want you to look at these pictures here. I miss Lucy leading someone to Christ or, or seeing Karina and Medicel and Wanda serve others and tell others about the Lord. It just, it, it just causes something in our hearts to continue steadfast in the work of the Lord. It's such an incredible blessing when we gather together. It stirs our affections for Jesus, but it also stirs our affections for one another. When Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, he says this, and again, this is within the framework of a local church. And he says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We as a church, not just individuals, but individuals who belong to a church, we were gathered for good works that God has prepared for his church that we should walk in them. We were purchased and redeemed to be a body of Christ's works. And I need you to know something. This, this can't be generated on our own. These good works and this love can't be generated on our own. But this scripture tells us so plainly that it must be provoked. It must be taught. It must be learned. To be, and this is all done within the corporate context of a local church. I love what Paul writes to Titus. He says this, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. Let our people learn. They have to learn to do this, to devote themselves to good works. So as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Hey, do, are you tired of being unfruitful? 
Do you really want to meet the, the urgent needs of our community, the, the spiritual and the physio, physical needs? Well, here's the truth. You need to be provoked to do that. And that happens when we gather. And so that is, is, is such an encouragement to me, and I, and I hope it's an encouragement to you. But I do want to end this way, that the Lord not only encourages us this morning and exhorts us to gather together, but he commands us not to neglect the gathering. You see, this verse is made to be understood within an end times perspective. And here's what the writer of Hebrews is essentially saying. Hey, the Lord is coming back. And we do believe that there's a second advent when the Lord will come back and rapture his people and judge the living and the dead. And the writer of Hebrews is making this point. The closer that we get to Jesus coming back, the darker and more evil the days will become. The days will get harder. They will get darker. There will be more trials and persecutions. There will be more imprisonments and government interventions that will try to make you bow the knee to their ideologies and convictions. There will be times where people are going to try to make you denounce your faith. And here it is. There's going to be a time where you're going to be, where there's going to be an attempt to rip you away from your blood-bought family. As the day gets closer and closer, What the enemy will try to do above all things, hear me, is remove you from the herd. Because he knows that if he removes you from the great shepherd, if he removes you from the pastor, the under shepherd, if he removes you from the herd, the local body of God's people, and you go out to the wilderness on your own, (laughs) you're in danger. The sheep in scripture, it's clear. We, we all know sheep. Sheep can't even feed themselves. They can't defend themselves. And so it's by no surprise that the devil would attack the church and try to make a Christianity that has no relation to the local assembling of God's people. Because he knows that we will be more susceptible to all sorts of, of attacks if we try to do this Christian life on our own. We were never made to do that. When we get on our own, we begin to doubt God. We begin to be discouraged. We become despondent. And as I've seen so many in this last two years, they denounce their faith. So the great shepherd of the sheep, knowing all this, the great shepherd of the sheep that protects us and keeps us from stumbling commands us with love and with grace and with full authority for our good. And he says this, do not neglect to gather together. Do not neglect to gather together. You see, the Lord knew that we needed encouragement. The Lord knew that there's, there's going to be these, these evil days that are filled with discouragement. There's going to be trials and, and tribulations. And there's going to be all of these things that happen. And he knew that you needed to gather. He knew you needed it. He knew you needed, you needed to be encouraged. And this morning, he knows. He knows that you're right where you need to be. You need encouragement this morning. He knows the kind of encouragement you need. That's why I love gathering with God's people. Even this morning, I came in and I'm just so grateful. As I came in and I was talking to Eddie Hickel, I began to share with him what was happening in my week. And and the first thing he did is, is he said, hey, can I pray for you? 
And he put his hand on me and, and he began to pray for me. And that was such an encouragement to me. And maybe that's all you need. You just needed somebody to pray for you. You just needed, to, you just needed someone to notice you and ask you how you're doing. And this happens in the gathering. And this is why Paul writes to the Galatians in, in uh, Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, he says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? Love God and love our neighbor as ourself. So how do we fulfill the law of Christ? By bearing one another's burdens. So God wants us to make this a habit. God wants us to make it a habit of gathering together, of encouraging each other, stirring up our affections for the Lord together and for others together through the assembling together. And that's why I love the heart of our pastor. Because when we were going through this renovation and when we, when we began to consider the, the, this, these next few weeks, these, these next couple months, the first thing that came out of our, the mouth of our pastor was, how are we going to gather? How are we going to do this? How are we going to gather together? Because we can't miss it. We've already missed too much, he said. We can't neglect meeting together. And so we, we created these, these rooms, and, and by the grace of God, we have all the technology to make it possible. So here's my encouragement to you. Take advantage of being in these smaller settings. Get to know each other. Get plugged in to each other's lives. Share each other's burdens. Go to the Lord in prayer together. And I just want to end this way. You see, our church, we, we want to be an Acts 2 church. And in Acts 2, God not only gives us the meaning of gathering, but the outcome of what happens when we commit to gathering together regularly. And I just want to read this to you. Here's what it says, Acts 2, 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. That's the ordinary means of God's grace for the church. Then he says, everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. I just want to stop here for a second. All of this, all of this fighting online, we love to, to, to give our opinions online and all of those things, but the truth is, is we'll never have everything in common until we gather together and start working it out face to face. We know that's true now. Now all the believers were together and had all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day, every day, they devoted themselves to what? To what? To meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, hearts that are full and true, full of assurance of faith, praising God, and enjoying the favor of all the people. Now here's a result of not neglecting gathering together. Here it is. Every day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Praise the Lord. This is the truth of what happens when we gather together as God's church. So let me ask you this question. Will you commit to the Lord today? Maybe you're not a member of this church and you want to figure out how, how you can do that. That's the, that's the first step if you're a Christian this morning. Or we have Team Sunday coming up in a few weeks where we're going to, there's uh, different ministries that we're offering. Get plugged in. This isn't a plug for that. This is just an opportunity to gather together and, and see these things come to life. Maybe that's your commitment. But maybe 
your commitment to the church that you're not even there yet. Maybe you've never made a commitment to Christ. Maybe you've never repented of your sins and confessed like Peter confessed that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. The Bible is clear that if we call on the name of the Lord and we believe in our heart that Jesus Christ rose from the grave, the Bible says we can be saved. And maybe that's where you are. And if that's where you are this morning, you've, you've never placed your faith in Christ Jesus. You never had Jesus come into your life and, and, and wash you by his blood, overcoming your sins. If, you, if you've never received Christ to have eternal life, maybe this morning is the morning. And there's room hosts. And right now, room hosts, you can kind of go to the front and you could be there. Because maybe you just need to talk to somebody and say, I don't know what it means to follow Jesus, but I want to do that. And you can do that this morning. And church family, will you commit today? Psalm 37, 5, this is our Orlando Christian prep verse for the year, says this, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. And maybe this morning, maybe just maybe, maybe you're online and you haven't committed to coming here on campus Maybe today's the day. Maybe you're saying, you know what? I got to consider that. I, I need to be there next week. Or maybe you're just here and you haven't been showing up regularly or been a part of anything of the church. Maybe this morning you say, I, you know what, Pastor Arthur? I'm going to commit my way to the Lord in this. I'm going to trust in him because I want to see him act in my life. Whatever the case may be, church, we need the Spirit's help in this. And we do this all by the grace of God. And so, room host, if you can just make your way to the front now. We have a short video. And then after that short video, room host, if, if you just want to take the lead from there. But let me pray, and then we'll go into that video. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your graciousness. We thank you for your love. God, we just thank you, Lord, that you've gathered us. That you've gathered us together to be a gathering to be a light, a city set on a hill, Lord, a light to the world. Lord, we want the world to know your love. We want the world to know uh, the love, God, that has completely flooded our lives. And so, God, this morning, I just pray that you would work in us faith, that you would, by your grace, work in us, Lord, to commit to our churches, Lord, to this local church, Lord, and say, I want to experience the Lord. I want my heart to be stirred for the Lord and stirred for others. I want to do the works that God has prepared for me. Lord, I pray that they would take a next step, whoever that is, and, and you know who you are. And so, God, we just are grateful for this time together in your word, and I pray that you were exalted. Lord, thank you, Lord, that you have paid the ultimate price for us to be a gathering, for us to be a church. We love you, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.